this evening. It's good to be with you this evening. Thank you, Delbert, for that song, and thank you for singing it so well, church. It was just wonderful. It is a beautiful thing to walk in the steps of the Savior. Lots of things in this world that's broken and wrong and dark, and we can just spend a long time talking about that. And sometimes how the world defines beauty is not how God defines beauty. But we realize you've gathered together on kind of a dark Sunday night. That's a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful thing that we come together to encourage one another, open his word, and to think about the things of God. These are beautiful, beautiful things. If you've got your Bible, turn with us to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to take our thoughts from there this evening. In the 1920s, there was a Canadian golfer by the name of David. And he was golfing with his usual foursome one Saturday morning. And he teed off his first shot and went extremely to the right. He bent down, put down another golf ball, and hit another shot. His other players said, what in the world are you doing? He said, it's a correction. And they said, why are you going to call this? He said, I'm going to call this a mulligan. His name was David Bernard Mulligan. And that's where we get this idea of a second shot, a do-over, a second chance. And how many times in life would we really wish that we could go back and have a do-over? I mean, I think about some classes I took in college and some I took in high school, and I think, you know, I really didn't like the class, I didn't like the teacher, and I would really today like to go back and do over some of those classes. But more importantly, how many conversations have we had that maybe didn't end so well that we would like to go back and have another conversation? Or maybe there's some events in our life that we would like to go back Knowing what we know today, maybe we'd make better choices, wiser choices, the right choices, if we could go back. But one thing the Bible teaches is you don't go back. The Bible teaches that Jesus forgives us from all of our sins. Acts 22 talks about rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. That slate with God can be pure, but you can't go back. Those things have been done. But what the Bible does teach us is as you look forward, going the other direction, you can change that. And so the Bible gives us some great passages about a new life. For instance, in the book of Romans, in chapter 6, it talks about uh, being baptized and walking in the newness of life. It doesn't have to be the same life. It's not a matter of just adding church to my busy schedule. It is a change, a new life. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, he would talk about putting on that new man, that new person in Christ Jesus. And so this evening, we want to kind of look at that from the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. Our theme this year, of course, is, as we've been talking about, is the idea of finishing what uh, finishing what we have started. And in the book of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul brings up several strong messages, and particularly we're going, to voc- we're going to focus on verse 17, where he says, Behold, new things have come. We want to talk about what is new. What came about that's new? 
Appreciate these first few verses being read to us. One of the things we notice in these first few verses as the apostle brings this up to us, we notice the idea of the desire to be with God. Notice this as, as he says this in verse 2. He says, For indeed in this house we groan longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. What we're clothed with now is not what we will be clothed with. We long for that. In verse 4, for indeed while we're in this tent, talking about the earthly body, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. The idea that we are burdened, and as was said, we get older. Our tent has a lot of holes in it anymore. And what happens is things just are not the same as they once had been. Again, he says this in verse 5. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose, God who gave us a spirit as a pledge. And then he says again, verse 8, he says, For we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. His running thoughts through all these things is that we want to be with God. And through all this, he lays down some great principles. He says in verse 7, we walk by faith. And not by sight. He says in verse 9, we have as our ambition, whether home or absent, to be pleasing to God. This is what we want to do. We want to please God. And then in verse 10, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may be recompensed for his deeds done in the body, according to that which he has done, whether good or bad. Now, having said those things, what the apostle does is he comes to a series of conclusions. And we notice this by the word, therefore. It actually carries all the way up to verse 6, where he says, therefore, in verse 9. But I want you to notice verse 11, verse 16, verse 17, and verse 20 all begin with the word, therefore. Because of this, therefore. Because we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, verse 10. The first, therefore, or first conclusion is, we persuade men. We tell others about Jesus. Why? Because every person is going to face Jesus. Every person is going to be judged by Jesus. And then he says in verse 16 in regard to this, he says, therefore we no longer pay attention to the things of the flesh. And we'll come back to that in just a little bit. But what he's emphasizing there is we're, we're interested in all people. From a Jewish perspective, they didn't really care about Gentiles. We're beyond that now. We don't care about the color of a person, the education of the person, the background of the person. Jesus died for all. We persuade all. And then in verse 17, the other next conclusion is, Therefore, in Christ, he is a new creation. And that's what we've been talking about this quarter. What God has started, what God has created, as Jason preached about this morning, this work God has within us. And then in verse 20, the, the, the fourth conclusion in this section here, he talks about again, be reconciled. We beg you to be reconciled to God. And so we're, we're going to focus this evening on this idea in verse 17, behold, new things have come. And we want to talk about a change. What is that change? What's new in Jesus Christ? Let's begin, first of all, by going back to the book of Mark, if you will. Mark chapter 5. And let's just look at an illustration of somebody who changed. And it will help us to kind of appreciate some of the things we're going to see this evening. Mark chapter 5, and we begin with verse 2. We see that Jesus has crossed the Sea of Galilee, he and his disciples, 
And immediately, as soon as he gets out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit met him, a man with a demon. He had been dwelling among the tombs, verse 3 says. No one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. He often had been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles were broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and, and gassing himself with the stones. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. What a mess this man is. Your daughter brought this man home, said, Dad, I'm sorry dating somebody, and this is the person. You'd say, oh, no. Oh, no, we've got to have a conversation. This person had lots of things wrong with him. Other gospel accounts tells us he was naked, living in the cemetery, screaming night and day, cutting himself with rocks. Lots of things wrong with this person. Demon-possessed. But he understands who Jesus is through the demons. And he comes, and he bows down before Jesus. Verse 7, crying out with a loud voice, it says, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said, My name is Legion, for we are many. That's the demon talking. And he began to entreat him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now there was a, a big herd of swine feeding there on the mountainside. And they entertained him, saying, or they entreated him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And he gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. What a mess they have now. Dead pigs in the water. 2,000 of them. Who's going to clean that up? And then it says, Verse 14, and those who tended them ran away and reported in the city and out in the country. And the people came to see what happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed. Now notice, sitting down, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Notice the change here? He's a different person now. He's dressed differently. He's acting differently. They're no longer afraid of this man because this man no longer is a threat to them. They became frightened, it says, and at the end of the text, they asked him to leave. Ask Jesus to leave the country. And so what we're talking about tonight is we look in the back to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 and verse 17. As the apostle says, if, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Well, what's new? And that's what we want to focus on this evening as we look at some simple things the Bible teaches us about this, about these changes that we find in Christ Jesus. And the first thing we're going to notice is your relationship with God changes. Turn your Bible to the next page in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll notice this. Your relationship changes. Now, now you understand this on the physical sense because every family has stories that only the family knows. Every family has little inside jokes that only the family knows. Maybe there's some scary stories, some scary moments, but, but just the family knows those things. And so your son or your daughter starts dating somebody, and, and from a, at first, you're a little standoffish because we like you, but you're not in the family. But once one becomes in the family, there are no secrets. Everything is told. You know, my family tells a story, it's about me, it's not a good story, but 
Years ago, we were down in Florida, and we were at some place to eat. And I ordered the food, and I ordered a Coke. Now, to this day, we have a discrepancy about what the man said to me. I believe he said, what's that? I mean, what do you mean, what's that? Everybody knows what Coke is. Now, the rest of the family, all my kids, my dear wife, said, no, Dad, he said, what size? But I heard, what's that? So I said, I want a Coke. And the man said the same thing back. To me, he said, what's that? Now, the family says, no, Dad, he said, what size? So then I said, do you have a Sprite? And my family just pushed me out of the way. Now, to this day, when we go out to eat, the kids will say, Dad, do you want us to order for you? I mean, that's one of those inside family. Every family's got that. And what we see here is what's new is your relationship with God changes. So look with me in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14, he's describing this relationship that they should not have with false teachers or idols or false gods. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? A lot of times old preachers used to say this is talking about marriage. He's not describing marriage. As we go through the terms, he's going to talk about opposites. God on one side, error on the other side. Verse 15, what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now notice verse 17 and verse 18. Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me. You see that? I'm not just the Almighty. I'm not just God. I'm not just the creator. I will be your father. And remember in Matthew 6, as Jesus was giving this example how to pray, pray this way, he says, our father who art in heaven. And so one of the great things that changes is our relationship. So back in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, where we were, this is why in verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as through Christ, we are treating each of us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The idea of reconciliation, reconciled, is two people not getting along anymore. We were friends, and we had a fallen out. There was a disagreement. There was an argument. I don't like you, and I don't like you, and here we are. But if they come back together, they are reconciled. So sin has made us an enemy of God. Sin has separated us from God. Paul says we persuade all men, preach Christ, so we can once again be reconciled, we can be friends with God. That's one of the greatest things about being a Christian, is that he's not just the grand God up in heaven. He is my Father. He is your Father. And when you hear people using his name in a blasphemous way, it ought to offend you. You're talking about my father. 
You're talking about one that belongs to me. And so that's the first thing we notice here and how great that is. A second thing that changes as we look through these simple lessons this evening is your thinking changes. And I believe this is the hardest thing, to change the way we think. Because our thinking affects everything. It affects our attitude. It affects our choices, our behavior. Everything funnels through our mind. And so if you change the thinking, you change everything. And what we see from this is it's less thinking about yourself and more thinking about Christ. Less about what I want, less about how I feel, but more about the Lord and other people. Now again, let's just put a couple verses on this in our 2 Corinthians chapter 5 passage. Notice as he says in verse 9, Therefore we have as our ambition, whether home or absent, to be pleasing to him. We want to please God. And so that's how your thinking changes. In the book of Philippians, which Jason took us to this morning, turn with me to the book of Philippians. I want to notice about three places in Philippians. We begin, first of all, in Philippians 2, where we were this morning, where he says in verse 5, have this mind or have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus. Think like Jesus would think. Would Jesus say that? Would Jesus be that way? That's what he's driving at in those verses there. Also in the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, he, he would say in verse 5, or excuse me, in, uh, where are we at here? Oh, chapter 4, rather, excuse me, chapter 4 and verse 5. He says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. There again is that concept of a gentle spirit. Verse 3 of chapter 2 says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Over and over what the flavor we see in the New Testament is, when you come to Christ, what's new is your thinking changes. And that means you've got to purposely purpose that. That means you've got to drive at that. You've got to work at that. You don't just go along with the flow. You're just not like a river thinking like the world thinks and just accepting what the world accepts. You have to purposely realize, I've got to think differently because this changes everything. How I see people, how I treat people, all of this changes. Again, back to our 2 Corinthians chapter 5 context. He, he would say in verse 15 that Jesus died for all and that they all should live, no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died and rose again on, the behalf of the, on their behalf. There, verse 16, therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. You see that? We don't get impressed about the car you have in the parking lot. We don't get impressed by the labels on your clothes. We don't get impressed by what brand of watch you wear. We don't get impressed by the square footage of your house. We don't get impressed about who you know, who you've met. What impresses us is your faith in Jesus. That's what we recognize. And what we recognize is not that this guy's Gentile, this guy's Samaritan, this is a Roman, this is a Jew. That none of those things matter because Jesus died for all. So if you have purple hair, as I've seen some people have purple hair. I don't know why, but some people have purple hair. doesn't matter. We don't pay attention to those things. We pay attention to faith in Jesus. And that makes all the difference. Now, from this, we have some other conclusions. It says, as we think about this, 
sometimes things that once bothered us no longer will. Why? Because our attention now is on the Lord. Our focus now is greater on the Lord. Our ambition is to please God. So my team gets beat. Now, there was times when that would happen and really upset some people. They'd almost have to go to bed because their team got beat and they couldn't handle that. You know what? It's just a game. It's just a game. The weather. Some people get up and down about the weather and, oh, no, and all this and that. You know what? It's just the weather. It's going to change anyway in a day or two. Don't get upset about those things. Again, things that once bothered us, they don't. But things that one time we didn't pay attention to, now they do bother us. It does notice some of the language that's being crossed in TV today. It does bother us the way some people are raising their children today. It does bother us as we see some people living as if they're going to live forever and they don't have a thought spiritual in those minds. So some things no longer bother us, but some things do bother us, maybe for the first time. And what we notice is our value system changes. You see, what once was expensive is cheap. And what the world says is cheap is expensive. Why? Because we look at it through the eyes of heaven. We see things as God wants us to see these things. And so all that again reminds us of these things. And so this is why going into all the world, doing good to all men, is a concept that God wants us to see. What's different? The way we think. And what's sad, and we see this sometimes, somebody will want to be baptized in Jesus, and they'll get immersed, and they'll come out, but nothing changes. Oh, they got wet, but nothing changed. They still think the same way. They're still bothered by the same thing. They still have the same value system. They still only think about themselves. And something didn't work right. Now, it's not the water. It's not the baptistry. It's not the magic in the air. It's the choice you make. And that's what Paul's driving at here with these therefore. Because of this, therefore. That, that, that's, a, that's an action statement. Because of this, I'm going to do this. I'm driving down the road and the light turns red. Because of that, I'm going to stop. That's a conclusion. And Paul's making a conclusion here. Because Jesus died for all. Conclusion. Number three. What happens, what's new, is that your heart changes. And your heart changes your actions. Again, in the Bible, turn with us to the book of Ephesians, if you will, Ephesians chapter 5. And again, we notice this in several places. Ephesians chapter 5, as Paul talks about the change within them. Excuse me, Ephesians 4, rather, verse 31 32. Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That sounds like Facebook, doesn't it? You know, you just get on there, somebody's harping about this, somebody's complaining about this, somebody's griping about this, not happy about this, not happy about that. You, verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Your thinking has changed, your heart changes, and then your actions change. All of that is linked together as we do these things. What I can do for you becomes a part of my vocabulary. How can I help you becomes a part of my vocabulary as we think about these changes that come about. In the book of Titus, if you will, Titus chapter 2, 
Titus talks about, or the apostle writing to Titus, talks about grace of God here. And let's notice what he says here regarding grace. Titus chapter 2, begins verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Now we can stop there. Great, strong, biblical doctrine point. But there's not a period there. There's a comma. The grace has appeared, bringing salvation, instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior Christ Jesus. Grace has appeared, so we ought to change. What's new? I'm a different person. May look the same, my voice may sound the same, may live in the same house, but I'm not the same person. And sometimes people have a hard time with that. Sometimes people have a hard time letting people change. I like the story of these two guys who, who took their lunch to work. And it was, a, it was a Friday, a guy opened up his lunch box and said, baloney, baloney again. He said, I hate baloney. Four days this week, I've had a bologna sandwich. I hate bologna. His friend right beside him says, well, why don't you tell your wife about this? He said, why would I do that? I make my own lunch. And that's the problem people have. Why is my life stinky? Well, who's making your lunch? Why am I miserable? Who's making your lunch? You make your choices. And so what's new is Christ in me. And then the fourth thing that changes, of course, is your destination. We are heaven bound. And that's why this year we're focusing upon how we're going to finish. Once again, in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses we've been using a lot here these last couple of weeks. Paul would say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished, of course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, as one ages, things change. And you start realizing, I can't do what I used to do. And you get to a point in your life where you think, you know what? The best days are behind me. Best days when I felt good, when I thought strong, when, when I was active, I could do all kinds of things. But when we are a Christian and you look at that and you realize that's not true because the best days are still to come. The best days are in Jesus. And the best days is what God has ahead of you. I've got to tell you about one of my Christmas presents. I guess I'm going to do this. I don't know. My son Joe, you, you know Joe. Joe is cut from the same cloth of me, which is scary. But he gave me a little thing for Christmas, but he said, Dad, that, this is not your real gift. I said, okay, what's my real gift? He said, Dad, you and I are going skydiving. I said, we are. He said, yes. So I, this spring or this summer, you may be looking for another preacher because there may be a spot on the road. I don't know. I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. But you know, when I was in my 30s, I would, say, I would say, go for it, let's do it. Now I'm past 30, long way, I'm thinking, this could be serious. <laughs> this could really be serious. I better have some ambulance down there when I land. I don't know what's going to happen. But, but you know, your destination, and we've been talking a lot about that recently. As been said, and as we know so well, we've been to the funeral home a lot of times here lately. And turn with me to the book of... 
John, if you will, chapter 14. John chapter 14. We've read these verses so many times recently in the funeral homes. But it reminds us of something we need to know. John chapter 14 in, in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. That means be bothered, be discouraged. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were so, if it were not so, I would have told you. Right there we see the honesty of Jesus. I'm not hiding anything back. What it is, is what I'm going to tell you. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He came into our world so we could go into his world. He died so we might live. And as we get older and older, and this old world seems to get darker and darker, and we may think, you know what, I sure wish things were like they were when I was a kid. I wish we could go backwards. We can't do that. We'll never do that. And don't, don't get down. Don't think, you know what, the, the best is over. It's past. It's not for the Christian. The best is yet to come. The home with God forever and ever. And so that's why Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians 5 is driving that point so strongly. The idea that here we are and we groan. We groan because we're persecuted. We're groan because we're, we're measured by this world. We're contained by this world. And whatever's in this world affects our physical bodies. But a day's coming when we're going to be clothed by God. These things will no longer bother us. So in the book of Revelation, if you will, in chapter 21... We, again, come to these familiar verses. In verse 4, as we sang this morning, And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Now, you and I can't not go back, rewind the tape, and do a mulligan on our life. But what we can do is find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And what we can realize is the way I was is not the way I am, is not the way I'm going to be. I can change, and I can have that new life. I can have a better relationship with God. I can think the way God wants me to think, which is going to affect my actions and my heart and my behavior. And I can be one to say, you know what, come what may, I'm going to heaven. And nothing is going to stop me from that. And that's how you get through these things. And so that's our thoughts for this evening. We hope it gives you some help and some encouragement as we think about this. As a Christian, got to ask myself, are these things in me? These are supposed to be new things. I should be manifesting these things. I should be thinking differently than the, than the way I was before. I should be acting differently. I should have the hope that God wants to have within me. And if not, let's get these things as God wants them to be. If you're among us this evening, you're not a Christian. You need to see what you're missing. It's not just going to church. It's being part of a fellowship, a part of a family of God. It's being part of God's family. Can you imagine, can you imagine if somehow in your family tree, Bill Gates was there, or Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, and somehow he's an uncle or cousin or somewhere he's in that family. And he, can you imagine he's thinking, someday when that old guy dies, look at all this money. You got something better than that. You got the God of heaven. The God of heaven who made everything. 
and you are his son, you are his daughter, if you belong to Jesus. What a powerful statement that is. What that ought to do to help us through dark days realize he knows, he understands, and nobody can help me better than God himself. If we can sit down with you and open the book up and do a little studying, we'd love to do that. If you're ready to be baptized, this is the moment. Why don't you do that as we stand, as we sing?